Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. We're starting a new series today. And this is the only Sunday that I'm going to be preaching Uh, The series is Hope Restored, Uh, and like churches all across the country and the world will be full today on Easter Sunday. Everyone goes to church on Sunday. Um, Next Sunday, churches will be back to 50 to 60% of what they were today, Um, and I I really don't know why, uh, but what I want to encourage you is come back next Sunday. Because the next three Sundays, you will get to hear from individuals that attend Avenue Church how Jesus has restored hope in their life, how he has walked with them through tough seasons and exciting seasons and challenging seasons and has restored hope maybe when hope was lost or brought hope when it was missing. And so next Sunday, you'll get to hear from a couple, and it's just going to be a conversation on stage. Um, We had dinner this past week, and we were just squalling. And like some of the stuff I didn't even know. And I've known this couple uh, probably for about 25 years, right, babe? Like their kids were in our children's ministry and youth ministry and been just highly connected with them. But for a season, I didn't know they walked through what they walked through. And the wife struggled with alcoholism and it almost took her life, almost lost her marriage. And she walked through a season of about four or five years in and out of um, treatment centers and then finally spent a year. Her husband was like, you can't come home. I don't want you coming home for a year. She spent six months to a year in a sobriety house and has been now sober many years. And they just just opened their first sobriety house for women coming out of treatment. Um, It's full. And they have a waiting list. And they're about to open another one so they can make room. And so for those who say, like, God can't use my mess, come next week. And you'll see how the word is true where it says what the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. And then the second week, there's a single mom that's walked through and adopted two um, sisters and is now parenting them and raising them up in the love of the Lord. And then the last week, there's a couple that um, got ahead of the game with their relationship and found themselves pregnant before they were married and almost made a decision that would have ended their child's life. He is now four because God met them on the road to make that decision. Um, and five, oh my gosh, he was like two when I met him. God, I can't keep up all the kids. And I say that because they just had their second boy and God is doing some incredible things in their life. And so what we want to do with these stories is not put them on display, but put Christ on display and how he is still living and bringing hope today. Amen. So bring somebody with you. Don't, don't miss a Sunday. We're going to try to record them on video as well. They may not know that. Um, <laughs> it's better to ask forgiveness than permission sometimes. Um, we're going to record that so because we don't want to miss that. I believe stories are powerful. Um, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. Uh, made a statement in between worship and now that you know, hope is the evidence of, um, or faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, 
and it's uh, belief in things unseen. The King James Version puts it, the, the OG puts it, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so when we look at this word hope, we don't hope on hope. We don't hope on today. We don't hope on our circumstances. We don't hope on our situations. We don't hope on each other. Our hope, the substance, the meaning of our, our hope is built on our faith. And our faith is placed on none other than Jesus Christ. Here at Avenue Church, we've got 10 values. Our number one is we put our hope in Jesus. We don't put it in Avenue Church. We don't put it in me as a pastor. We don't put it on anyone else, but we put our hope on Jesus because he's the one that is alive and is still bringing hope today. But we have to understand first what the substance, the meaning of the hope that we have. It is our faith in Jesus. And so in this series, I want us to look, and we're gonna walk through the story of one of the guys that was really like, I I wish I could have gotten him here to share his story uh, because he would do way better and it would be way more real than me trying to tell it secondhand by reading it actually thirdhand. So it's the story of Peter, how Peter was called of God, called by Jesus to be one of his disciples, to become an apostle, walk side by side with Jesus. And, and, and there came a point in his life to where there was a disconnect between him and Jesus, even though he had the best intentions. And how many of us know that, that we've all at times had good intentions and those good intentions fall short? But we serve a God that, that fills in the gaps when those good intentions fall short. And so we first meet Peter in Luke chapter 5, and this is where he's been out fishing all night. And he's been out fishing. He didn't catch anything, and he's, he's, he's at the shore, and he's washing out his nets. He's done. He's done. You guys ever been there? Like, you've been fishing, like, and you don't catch anything? I couldn't fish all night, all day. Like, if I don't catch anything after an hour, I'm done. I got like chicken liver on my hand and like cricket guts and like worm. Like I'm done. I want to go home. I'm hot, dad. I'm tired. Like I remember going fishing with my dad. And like if we weren't just reeling them in, I wanted to go home. But Peter, because this is his livelihood, he's been fishing all night. And Jesus is coming with a crowd around him and gets into Peter's boat. And he says, Peter, take me out deeper because that's what happens when Jesus gets in your boat. Sometimes he takes you out deeper, right? And Jesus is out there, and he's teaching to the multitude, and, and he tells Peter, hey, let's, let's go fishing some more. And Peter's like, I fished all night. I haven't caught anything. But because you tell me to let down my nets again, I will. And as the story goes, Peter lets down his nets, and it says that the nets were so full that they were breaking and that they could not bring them to shore, so his buddies had to come help. And Peter realizes at this moment that something's different about this man. And it says that he bows and he worships. And he says he's not worthy to be there because of how sinful he is. And so Peter realizes in the presence of Jesus his sin, but Jesus doesn't cast him away. This is what Jesus says to him. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And so Jesus begins on this day with Peter, taking him on a journey from being a fisherman to being a world changer from being a fisherman of just small fish to turning the world upside down. And we think when God calls us, it's a straight shot. We think that that when we accept a, a call or when we allow Jesus into our life and surrender to him, that it's a straight shot to perfection. Guys, let me just tell you, and we'll see through today, that is anything but that. And a lot of it is our own undoing. 
And so Jesus calls Peter, and he calls him not just to be a disciple, but he calls him as an apostle, as one of the 12, because there were a lot of disciples around Jesus as his ministry grew, but 12 were selected to be the apostles, and it's almost like the pastors, the staff of Jesus' ministry. And he would call them out, and he would send them out. He gave them, listen to this, he gave them the same authority that he had. He said, I'm giving you the same authority that I've been giving. Now go preach, teach, heal the sick, and cast out demons. And Luke says they go and do that, and when they come back, they're celebrating. So, so Peter has been a part of this ministry, and he's, he's performed these miracles. He's seen these miracles. He's even tried to do a little water walking that didn't end so well, right? But then about halfway through Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 16, we see this, this conversation with Jesus and his disciples, right? And it's kind of I like to think of it as like a Sunday school lesson. You guys remember the good old days of Sunday school, right? Small groups is what we have now, meeting in homes and across the community. But, but there always comes that point where questions get asked and no one knows the answers. And so you try not to make eye contact. And so Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples and he says, look, look guys, who, who do others say that I am? Who do the people that we're out and around and about that you're talking to, who do they say that I am? And they're kind of doing popcorn answers. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the other great prophets. And that's what we do when we try to think to give an answer that the teacher's looking for. And so they think they're doing really good giving an answer that they think their teacher, their rabbi is looking for. And then he says, okay, I don't care what everyone else says. I want to know who do you say that I am? And Peter is the first one to answer. He says, Lord, you are the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus says to him, when he says this, he says, you are correct. And, and man didn't tell you this. The Holy Spirit, Father, has revealed this to you. And this is, this is what Jesus says to him in response to that. He says, now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build Whose church? What does he say? On this rock, I will build what? My church. He says, we're not going to build our church, guys. We're not going to build our kingdom, and you'll all get your own. He says, no, this is, this is my church. And as I build this church, the powers of hell will not conquer it. Other translations say we'll not be able to defend it. The gates of hell will not conquer it. Gates are, are, are a defensive mechanism. So there's just nothing that can defeat the church of Jesus. And, and, and we read this and we think, okay, is, is the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on, he's changed Simon's name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And he says, I'm going to build my church on this rock. That's not the rock Jesus is talking about. We teach that and we think about that. Yes, Peter is used by God to start the church in Acts but the rock that Jesus builds his church on is the revelation that Peter reveals that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we will build everything as Avenue Church and all churches in this community and even our lives individually as Christians. That's the bedrock of our faith walk is that Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. He is the Son of God. And so Paul or Peter knows Jesus fully at this point. He knows who he is. And then in Matthew 17, the very next chapter, Jesus has his three guys that are, that are kind of his favorite, right? We're not supposed to have favorites, but let's be real. Sometimes we do have favorites. And so Jesus' three guys was Peter, James, and John that he took up 
on the mountain for prayer. And it's known in scripture as the Mount of Transfiguration. And while they're up there, Jesus is transformed into all of his glory. He's transformed into his glorified self. And then Moses and Elijah shows up and the disciples want to build three three altars there to represent. And, and Peter, in this moment, he gets to see Jesus in all of his glory. So Peter has been called by God from a fisherman to a disciple, elected by God to be an apostle, has given the revelation of who Jesus is, understands who he is, not just because of what he's heard from other people, but because of what he's experienced. The Spirit has revealed Jesus' identity. His identity has been changed and he's now witnessed Jesus in all of his glory. If there's a super Christian, it would be Peter, right? Like he's got the Fear Not t-shirts. If those of you like grew up in a youth group, like in the early 2000s, right? The Fear Not t like he's, he's got the cool like Bible cover. He's got all the Christians. Like he's, he's the super Christian. But we find out as we continue in his story that he wasn't, he wasn't perfect, he wasn't perfect. And we get close to the end in Luke chapter 22. And it's the night before Jesus' arrest, and they're celebrating the Passover meals. And we call it communion, the Lord's Supper. We shared that together on Friday night as, as a church during worship night, which was incredible. If you were there, right? It was just an incredible time together in the Lord's presence and taking communion together. And, and after Jesus finishes taking communion with his disciples, um, he's telling them that, that they're all going to abandon him. And, and Peter is like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, look, Peter, I'm, I'm praying for you that your faith will hold because the enemy, Satan, is wanting to sift you. He's, he, he, he's wanting to break our tie. He's wanting to break our relationship. He's wanting to draw you away from me. And he says, I'm praying that you will hold on and that when you are restored, you will restore your brothers, talking about his disciples. And this was, this was Peter's gig. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Listen, 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 let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows, Tomorrow, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he's saying, Peter, listen, I know, I know I called you. I know I called you from fishing. I know you've been following me, but you're going to fall. I know you walked on water. I know you've cast out demons. I know you've healed the sick. I know you've preached my name. I know you've seen miracles. I know we've been walking side by side, but Peter, you're going to fall, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will be restored, and Peter didn't believe it. And I think in a lot of ways, you and I, um, for those of us who have maybe fallen away from our relationship with God, whether we're there now or maybe we've experienced that, right? Um, there are things in our life that we have done that we said we would never do. Can we just be honest with that for a minute? Like there are things in our lives that we have done that have gone against our nature and God's, God's heart that we said we would never do. There are lines that we said we would never cross, but things happen in life that can be so extreme that, that we run across it in fear and anxiety, um, or we are pushed across it for whatever reason. And so Peter is, is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, Lord, I'm not crossing this line. Even if I have to go to prison, even if everyone else forsakes you, I will die standing beside you. But those of us who know the story know that's not the case, Right? And as we go and, 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 and he's arrested, 
um, in Luke 22, they arrest Jesus. And this was even after, this was after Jesus took his, his, his three favorites to the garden to pray with him, and they couldn't stay awake just for a few hours to pray. But then in Luke 22, Jesus is arrested, and in verse 54, it says, so they arrested him, him being Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a, what's that word? And Peter followed at a distance. And even though I've preached that first service and I've read this multiple times, every time I read that, I see Peter afraid, not knowing what's going to happen. His teacher, his friend, his, his Messiah, the one that he called the Messiah, the Son of God, is, is arrested, is bound, is being drugged to be interrogated. And he's following at a distance, even though he said, Lord, I will go with you to prison. He wasn't really willing to go to prison because that would have been a sacrifice. And he says, he followed a distance. So the guard lit a fire, and we'll come back to this in a moment. The guard lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined him there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. You guys ever been to places and someone that you don't know just starts staring at you? And like, like one of two things is first, like you're thinking, what's wrong with them? And then they don't break the stare. You're like, okay, is there something on my face? Like, is there, is like, is my, like, is my shirt buttoned? What's going on? And so you, you, you have to know Peter is processing and is getting a little paranoid at this point. Why is she staring at me? Like, she, she just won't stare. And, and then the time comes for Peter to be able to hold true to the promises that he's made to the promises that he's made. The one who stood beside Jesus with a drawn sword is now hiding. Um, The one who promised to be beside Jesus is now hiding. And during the next several hours, Peter would have the opportunity to make good on his promise. But what he would do would be exactly what Jesus said he would do. He would deny Jesus three times. The first time he did kind of like what you and I do when we don't want to like overtly tell the truth or, or be honest, like... They said, you're with him, you're with Jesus, aren't you? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Guys, how many times we got caught doing something and we have an opportunity to fess up? Like, I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. So we're like, like, like he's trying, like he's denying Jesus, but he's trying to fool himself that he's not denying Jesus by saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a second time he's asked, no, 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 you're, you're with him. I recognize your accent. It's like, I don't know, no, I'm telling you, I don't know him. And then the third time, he is so adamant on proving that he doesn't know Jesus, that he is willing to call down curses on him if he is lying. He says, I don't know him. May I be cursed if I'm lying? Look at the, like, the 180 he's taken. Jesus, I will stand with you until the very end. Kill me if I'm lying when I say I don't know him. It's a huge change. And it says, when the rooster crowed, when the rooster crowed, and this is what it says in Luke, in Luke chapter 61. So when he said, I don't know him, after the third time, the rooster crowed, verse 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, You will deny me three times, Peter, that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. 
And if you can just use your imagination, imagination just for a moment, just, just to allow that to play out. And like, like Peter's in the courtyard, Jesus is bound. He's being slapped. He's being beaten. He's being interrogated. And the one who said, I'm your ride or die, says, I don't know him. And on the last time, the Savior turns and looks at Peter. And Peter turns and looks at Jesus. You've got to understand, Peter's seeing everything that's happening to him because of the way the courtyard. And so they lock eyes. And in that moment, Peter is reminded about Jesus' words. How like piercing that had to be for Peter because it says that he left weeping bitterly. Now I've heard and I've even preached that when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, his heart broke because of what Peter had just done as if he was shocked. Because we think that. We read that. It's like, oh, Jesus must have been so heartbreaking, heartbroken because of what Peter did. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. He tried to tell Peter, listen, I know what you're going to do. It's okay. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith is restored so that you can restore those around you. And so I used to think of that when, when Jesus looked at Peter. He was heartbroken because of what had just happened that he had been betrayed. But I think he was heartbroken because he saw Peter was understanding what he was doing to himself, not to him. Does that make sense? And he, he was taking what Peter didn't realize and understand. Jesus was taking our sins and transgressions to the cross. He was taking Peter's sins and transgressions to the cross. Looking at Peter, seeing what Peter was doing, denying him, Jesus knew that even that I'm taking with me to the cross. Peter didn't realize and understand that. And I'm sure in that moment, listen, I'm sure in that moment he thought he was going to get a chance to apologize because Jesus said other times when, when they had tried to capture him and make him king, Jesus would just like slip out. And I'm sure Peter at some point thought he was going to have an opportunity to say, look, boss, I'm sorry. I know I said what I would stand with you, but I kind of messed up. I kind of goofed. Forgive me. I'm sure he thought he would have that opportunity to apologize until he saw his Savior beaten and bruised and broken, carrying his cross down the road. But even then, there might have been something on the inside of him. It's like, I'll get another opportunity to say I'm sorry until he saw his friend his Savior, his teacher, the Messiah on the cross, breathe his last breath saying, it is finished. And then in that moment, you have to think about, about the weight of what Peter had said and what he had denied that I'm not going to get another chance to apologize. And just to break the ice, cue One Republic and Timberlands, too late to apologize. Too late to apologize, right? But the weight of that, I don't want you to carry that the rest of but, but but the weight, and we look at our life, and there have been moments that we wish we could just go back and get a do-over. And guys, sometimes we hold on to those moments not realizing Christ took those to the cross when he took everything else. And Peter actually does. So we know that, that, that Jesus had been telling them about his resurrection, the disciples and everyone, but they didn't believe it. And and. They just didn't understand it. 
But Jesus did. We celebrate today. Like they ran to the tomb on the third day and Peter and John, like as soon as they heard Mary and, 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 and Martha came and said, hey, the tomb's empty. The, the stone's been rolled. Jesus is gone. The angel said that he is alive. And it says Peter and John got up and they had a foot race to the tomb. And John is the one that wrote. He said, the one that Jesus loves made it to the tomb first. But Peter went into the tomb first. John got to the tomb first, but Peter went in first because he had some unfinished business. Again, no one there to apologize to. Jesus made himself known. He would show up and speak with the disciples. And, and a lot of times when, they would, when, when Jesus would show up, um, they didn't recognize him. And I think Jesus was just having fun with them, honestly. Like they didn't recognize him. Their, 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 their eyes were, were covered. On the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him. I'm in the garden. Mary and Martha didn't recognize him. He walks through the, into a room with locked doors and locked windows, just shows up, and he's like, put, put your hands here in my hands and your hand in my side. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's really, it's really me, guys. And then I love how the scripture puts it. It's like, can you fix me a fish sandwich? He said, I'm hungry. Do you have any fish? Is that just like Jesus? Like, I'm going to come back from the dead, and then you're going to feed me a sandwich, right? Because he's wanting to let them know he's back. And then we know the scripture, John 3, 16. And this is where I want, we know the scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loves the what? God so loves the what? World. And if we're not careful, especially as a church, walking, we get too much of a bird's eye view. And that verse becomes very impersonal. And we think God loves the world, but does he, does he really love me? Because there's so many people in the world, how could he love just me because of who I am, what I've done, what I've said, where I've been, these lines that I've crossed? I know he loves the world, but can he just love me? And see, Peter, Peter had this unfinished business. And what we have to understand is that if there is no resurrection, then denial and abandonment are Peter's legacy. Like, think about that on a personal level. Had Jesus not returned from the dead and not walked out of the grave, that would have been Peter's legacy as the guy who denied Jesus and ran away. And we know that it was talked about because this, this is in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in all of them. Talks about Peter, tough guy, ran away crying, right? And even in the early church, it was talked about. And if there had been no resurrection, that's where it would have ended. And for you and I, there are places in our lives that had there been no resurrection, that's where it would have ended. But because there is a resurrection, there is a better life for you and I. And so Peter gets his chance finally. Peter gets his chance in John chapter 21, and this is where he's restored. He's brokenhearted. He's frustrated. He tells the boys, look, I'm going fishing. And the rest of the disciples are like, look, okay, we'll come with you. And so they go, and they're fishing all night. Guess what happens? Guess what they catch? Nothing. And then there's a guy on the shore, and he says, hey, children, have you caught anything? Is what he says. Hey, children, have you caught anything? And he's like, no, we've been fishing all night. Who are you? We don't care. Go away. And he says, look, look, drop your nets again. They drop their nets again, and guess what? The net is full of fish. And in that moment, John and Peter are reminded of the first interaction that they had with Jesus. And this is, this is what John says. Um, says that in verse 7, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. So he was 
for some reason, he'd taken off his clothes to go fishing. But instead of, of jumping in the water, he puts his clothes back on to go swimming. I don't get it. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore with his clothes on. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for there was only, they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. And I want to make mention of that, that charcoal fire. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the whole New Testament. It's very significant. John mentions it twice. The first time charcoal fire is mentioned in John is when Peter is in the garden as Jesus is being interrogated. The fire that the, that the servants made for the house was a charcoal fire. That was the place of his denial. When Jesus shows up on the shore and he's made breakfast, he's made a charcoal fire. He is bringing Peter back to a place of denial so he can bring healing there. And that's what God does. When there's a broken place, he puts his hand on that broken place and points it out. And it's not easy. It's not fun. My middle daughter, when we moved here, um, 2019, we had been in Murfreesboro, not even, we were living in a rent house in Smyrna for a week, literally a week to the day. And it was a, it was a three bedroom, two bath, but really it was a one bedroom, one bath, because it was under construction. I was like, we got to get out of the house. We're going to go to the park. And so I'd never really been anywhere in Smyrna. So we went to Victory Park and my wife was like, are you sure that's a good idea? Take three kids to the park. I'm like, I'm a grown man. Like I can, like I've been, I've been dadding for a while. I can do this. And we're there literally for about, what, like 10 or 15 minutes. And I hear a thud. And I hear a, Daddy! And I'm like on the swing, just chilling. Let's go. And I look back, and, and my middle daughter is on the ground holding her wrist. And I go over, and it's like already all ballooned up. And so I knew like something's up. And some sweet lady offered me a little ice pack, like one of those little blue igloo things. Like, get that out of here. And so we go to the emergency room, and it's broke in a couple of places. And they actually had to reset the bone, and, which means they had to put it back in place. They had, to, they had to put their hand on the place that was broken. And when God puts, her, puts his hand on the places that are broken, it's painful at times. But in order for healing to take place, his hand has to go there to put the pieces back in place. And so he's created this, this charcoal fire and say, Peter, I know where we were at once before at this place, but let's have a different conversation now. Let's have a different conversation. Let's set some things right. And so he says this in John 21, verse 15. So they've eaten breakfast, and I love it. It says, it says right before this, all the disciples are just looking at Jesus as he's eating, and they're eating, and it's real awkward. They're like, it's, how is he here? What is he doing here? And they're afraid to, to ask, is it, is it really you, Lord? And then in verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. He didn't say Peter. He called him by his full name. You know when your parents call you by your full name, you're in trouble, right? Anytime my mom or dad said Stephen Lloyd Moore, that's my middle name in case you wanted to know. Please don't use it against me. But he says, Simon, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And different scholars had different views what these are. He's, so they're eating fish, and Peter's a fisherman, and he's saying, do you love me more than fishing? But I think he's saying, Simon, do you love me more than these as the rest of the disciples? Because Peter had declared, even if everyone else abandons you, I will still stand with you. 
And he's saying, Simon, do you love me more than these? And this was, this was Peter's response. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus, Jesus told him. Jesus asked him this two more times. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, why I've told you that I love you. Jesus denied him three times, or Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter three times. There's repentance taking place there beside the place. But here's what's interesting, okay? And, 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 and this is where I want to land. Here's what's interesting. Um, Jesus says, just follow me. In John 21, verse 22, and there's some conversation about, about John and, and who's going to be the lasting disciple. And Jesus says, don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about him. As for you, Peter, just follow me. And I, here's what I want to understand. I want you to understand about what's taking place with this coal, this fire, with this conversation. Jesus did not dismiss Peter's sin. Like, we have to understand that when we bring our sin before God, it is a real thing that affects us, that weighs us down, that keeps, he does not dismiss it, but Jesus dealt with the sin. Peter didn't realize that, didn't understand that, but when Jesus went to the cross, even after being denied, Jesus took that and carried that to the cross. Whatever we have done for those of us who are following Jesus, he has taken that and taken it to the cross. Scripture says he's nailed it to the cross. That our transgressions were placed on him. And if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, surrendering that to him, he deals with it. He doesn't just dismiss it and say, oh, that's okay. Doesn't do that. He says, no, I, I, it's serious enough that I've given my life to deal with it so you don't have to. Paul says this in, in Corinthians. He says that at just the right time, while we were still what? Not at just the right time when we had perfect church, church attendance, when we finally memorized a couple of scriptures, when we attended a small group. While we were still sinners, he dealt with our sin. He didn't dismiss it. He dealt with it. And this is the other thing that, that I realized Jesus didn't do. When, when Jesus was having the conversation, listen, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus did not say, well, then, Peter, why did you deny me? He didn't bring that back up. When we're in a natural relationship, whether it's a spouse or a friend and an argument and there's reconciliation, it was like do, you, like, do you really care about me? You know I care about you. Well, then why did you do this? Why did you say that Jesus did none of that? He didn't focus on the past. He focused on the, pu on the future because Jesus doesn't dwell on our past. He wants to direct our future. And so I don't know like where you're at today, like in your walk and, and, and where you're at in line with Peter's story. And maybe you've, you've been here. And, and here's what I know. Can I, just, can I just, for a couple of moments, just be real talk, like just be real in that, that we are in the South. And the South is often referred to as the Bible belt, the Bible belt. And the cool thing about Murfreesboro is it's dead centered geographically in Tennessee. So I would almost say, like, you're looking at the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Let's go. And that there, if you were to take a poll, 
that there is some knowledge, association, shallow commitment, deep commitment, that there's been that in most people's lives that walk through this door. And there's some of you in here that maybe that's not the case. And it's the same true truth that is for us is for you as well. Like we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners saved by grace. But I think that there are seasons in life as Christians where we find ourselves like Peter following at a distance that man, like if you were a young adult and you remember like youth camp, man, that's like the Mount of Transfiguration. Like I'm going back and I'm changing my schools. I'm burning all my secular CDs. I'm not watching any PG-13 R-rated movies. Like I'm changing. I'm not hanging around the same friends. And then life happens and, 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 and that fire that you had gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you're like Peter and you're following at a distance. And then you reach your mid-20s, early 30s, and you are completely denying him. You may not be doing it with your words, but with your priorities, with your actions, with your attitudes, your relationships, you're saying, I don't even know him. And then something happens and, you know, in the parable of the prodigal son, there's a moment where it says that he came to himself. And he made his way back to the father's house. But I think sometimes we have that moment where we come to ourselves and we're like, I don't know, would they accept me back? And thinking about the church, it doesn't matter if the church accepts you back, Jesus accepts you back. But there is absolutely nothing that you can do that would be as bad as what Peter did. He denied God verbally called curses on himself saying I have no idea who he is there is nothing any one of you in this room or myself included could do that would prevent Jesus from bringing us back and restoring us because he doesn't dwell on our past he wants to direct our future our future he doesn't dismiss our sin but guys he has dealt with it the sins that are in the past, the sins we commit today, tomorrow, next year. He has dealt with all of those when we surrender to him. Imagine, like that would have been Peter's legacy. But he had hope restored because there is a resurrection. And you and I can have hope restored, renewed life, forgiveness, joy, peace, because there has been a resurrection. And Jesus is still king. He is still Messiah. He is still the son of God. And this is a verse that we're going to really put all of this hope restored on. Romans 15, 13. It's like, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for my family is that we would overflow with hope, that there's hope for tomorrow. But that's not found in just hoping in a situation that, that, that faith is the substance. Faith in what? Faith that Jesus died, was buried, and he is alive. Faith in that, that that gives our hope meaning. That gives our hope substance to walk through whatever, to stay connected in whatever season. And so I want to do this. I want to be very intentional about this moment with, with every head bowed and every eye closed. And, and I want us just to reflect on our life in this moment. And the thing about being in the South is 
I feel like a lot of us have been in this moment where the preacher at the end, he makes an altar call and we have to make a decision and say a prayer. And, and, and we almost at times hang our salvation on this moment. But our salvation is not hung on this moment, but it's on who was hung on the cross but didn't stay there. It's on his sacrifice. And if you're here today and, and you have never had a relationship with Christ because you don't think he can accept you for who you are and what you've done, there's room for you. There's acceptance for you. There's forgiveness for you. And maybe you're here today and, and you're a Christian, but you don't, you don't know God like you should. And you've been following from a distance. He wants to pull you ever so close. And he wants to know who you are based on who he is. And I want to pray for you. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, and, and I want to know who I'm praying for. With Raising your hand doesn't save you, but it simply acknowledges that you need a Savior. If that's you today, I want to invite you just to lift your hand up just so that I know who I'm praying for. Just to know who I'm praying for. Look up here at me. Here's, here's what, like, those of you who raised your hands, and maybe those of you who didn't, you have made a decision to follow Christ. We call it a fresh start. And I'm thankful that we serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Amen. That when we surrender to him and acknowledge his lordship in our life, he redirects our future. Um, he covers our sin and he redirects our future. And so we're going to pray. It's not my prayer that saves you but it's your prayer. It's personal. It's a conversation with God. If you want to start out by saying something similar to Jesus, I give you my life. That is surrender. That is allegiance. That is obedience to every, just like all summed up in one. It's not all that you're going to say. Come on, like this is going to be a conversation that lasts all of eternity. But that's a place that you start. That's a place that, that he walks with you from. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning. God, we thank you what this day represents. We thank you that your son is alive. We thank you that we are alive because of him. And God, you saw the hands that were raised and maybe even others that lifted their hearts, but they're still too ashamed, afraid someone might see them. God, you know, just like you knew Peter would fail. You know that we are fallen and will fall and will fall short. Your grace is sufficient to cover that. God, as they surrender in this moment, whatever shame or guilt that brought them here, we leave it at your feet and we pick up rest and life and forgiveness. Your word says that by the belief in our heart and the confession of our mouth that you are Lord, that we are saved. Surrendering to you acknowledging our sin, giving it over to you, turning to you and away from that life. And God, your word says that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All the old is gone and all things are made new. Let us walk out of here today on Easter Sunday, 2023, new creations all across this room and believing that you didn't just come to save the world, but to save us and to instill hope into our life so that we're overflowing. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.